Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. I don't know about you, but I was like totally turned off by the 10 weeks of Black Friday we had this year and the crazy advertisements and you can't open your phone without seeing advertisements and all this other stuff to buy stuff. And I'm like, okay, I bought stuff. Okay, get off my back. Um, But it's just this this world that we live in recognizes that there's this constant loop of self-pleasure that most most of us are in. And many people are in that loop of self-pleasure when it comes to buying things. And that's just kind of how we feed the craving. I need new stuff. I need prettier stuff. I need better stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And now I got to figure out what to do with the old stuff because I bought something that I didn't need. And and it's just this constant loop. But it doesn't have to be buying stuff that is the way that you feed that desire for more. I, I don't know what it is for you, whatever you use for an escape. Um, it could be an substance, alcohol, drug. It could be a relationship. It could be uh, entertainment of some kind. But you feel like no matter how much I feed this desire, it just keeps growing, right? It never actually satisfies the desire. You just keep wanting more and more. It takes more of that thing to bring you any kind of feeling anymore. And it's just kind of a painful loop that most of our world is stuck in. Does anybody know that guy that has to go to every single movie that comes to the movie theaters? It's like, I love the movie theater. I love the popcorn. I love the crowd and I love all the stuff about it. So I just got to go to every single, maybe multiple times. I am, let's be honest. There's been times in my life when I have been that guy. I love going to movies. If there's a good movie, I'm like, let's just go see it every day. Once a day, we'll go see that movie. And I can get in that loop where I just enjoy it so much. So you, you, you know this guy, I'm guessing, and you go up to him and you say, hey, so when, When's the last time you went to the movie theater? How, how often do you go to the movie theater? And he's like, oh, every now and again. And you're like, what? You go, every now and again? Have you ever thought about that, Freeze? How much is every now and again? All the nows? Like, now? Now, 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 now. And again, if you go somewhere every now and again, you are stuck in a perpetual loop of always being there. What are you going to do? I think this is the way a lot of us live our lives. We're just stuck in a loop of just, I got to keep doing it. I got to keep feeding the hunger and the desire because I want to feel good. We're studying the book of Galatians right now, and the author of the book of Galatians is a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And by the time he gets to Galatia, Paul has been doing missionary journeys for 15 years. So he's had a lot of, I would say ups and downs, but mostly downs from the outside looking in, just like a lot of pain and hard things have happened. And he's been doing this missionary thing for a long time. In 15 years, he's been doing this by the time he writes his letter to the Galatians, and he's seen some stuff. He's experienced some stuff and a lot of pain. For example, in this 15 years, he has been tortured. He says five times he received the 40 lashes minus one. That means 39 times they would take a cat of nine tails and they would whip somebody 
and they would stop right before 40 because they believed 40 would kill somebody. They don't want to kill them. They just want to torture you. You need to feel the pain. But it gets worse. Paul tells us that three times the Romans beat him with baseball bat-like rods. And they didn't just beat you till you were tired. They beat you until they were tired, until they couldn't beat you anymore. And your body is just destroyed. At the end of this beating, you are a hunchback. You are unrecognizable. Paul tells us that one time he was stoned. That's a punishment that is meant to kill you. Yet he survived. Probably by sticking up his hands and blocking the stones that are coming at him and protecting his head from these stones. But what happens to your hands when you use them to protect your head is they become destroyed. They, they are a mangled, disgusting mess. So it's no surprise when we read the book of Galatians and Paul says this. He says, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. If you read your Bible, you'll notice that these words are capitalized. I didn't do that. That's in the uh, the modern translations of the Bible to show that when Paul wrote, he wrote in big letters. Now, remember, Paul didn't write his own actual physically write his own letters. He had a scribe who would then, who would, he would dictate, they would write it down and then they would deliver it to the person that he was writing the letter to. But every once in a while, Paul would use his own hands to write a portion of the letter. And why is Paul using large letters when he's writing? It's because Paul's body is broken. Paul is disgusting to look at at this time. Paul's hands barely work. The only way he can write is with large, shaky letters. So we're in a series right now called No Shave November. How's it going? You guys got it growing? This is the last Sunday. That's, yeah, that's good. Last Sunday you got. We're just kind of comparing now and seeing who's cooler. I don't know. You'll notice Pastor Paul's not here. He, was, he preached last week, and um, well, I am assuming he's not here because Karen made him shave, shave his beard off, and he's ashamed or something like that. Uh, no, Paul is with his family celebrating Thanksgiving in Colorado, um, uh, but he did send me a picture this week. He still has the beard, but we're all growing it out, and, and we've been talking about why do people grow their beards? I think another thing that we can talk about is what does a beard say about somebody? What, what can we predict about a person based on their beard? Well, luckily, they've done research on this. Multiple studies have told us that guys with beards are seen as more powerful. They're seen as older and confident. So what do you think of me now that I have a beard? And every survey every, ever conducted has been 100% accurate. So a salute to all guys with beards. No, we recognize it's just kind of a general thing. But this is what we see when we see people with beards. What do we see when we pe see people without beards? Before you bearded people get all prideful, people with no beards are seen as responsible, younger, and serious. So we're going to walk some ushers around to hand out some Gillette razors and we're all going to shave off our beards so we can look more 
serious. No, stop discriminating. That's beardism. That's not what we do around here. But if we can look at somebody and their beard and determine, I think I know this about you based on your beard or your lack of beard. This is kind of what we do in our lives. I can tell a little bit about you by looking the way at the way you dress or the way the people you surround yourselves with or the places you hang out. Usually we can look at somebody and judge some things about that person or at least guess some things about that person based on the way they look, right? So the question then comes to Paul. What does Paul's scars tell us about Paul? By looking at Paul, what can you assume about Paul? These scars on Paul's body say that Paul's love for God and Paul's love for other people have matured him past selfishness. This is what maturity does. I mean, look at the difference between a mature adult and a kid. A kid knows nothing but selfishness. It starts as a baby when everything is cry, I need, I want, I'm totally helpless, I need, I, I'm self-focused. This is, well, then as they get older, they become a, maybe a little bit less self-focused. It takes longer than I would like. This morning, my sons are, actually, true story, Titus, right there, right before first service, falls down and gets hurt. And Lincoln standing above him laughing <laughs> and pointing. <laughs> selfishness. We don't care. We don't think about other people. We're just totally selfish until we mature. And this is the sign of maturity. I can sacrifice a little bit of comfort for the good of society or the good of others. Mature Maturity brings us to a place where I am a little bit less self-focused. And Paul, at this point in his life, has reached an unimaginable amount of maturity that he is now able to put aside his own comfort in almost every conceivable conceivable way in order to sacrifice for other people, to sacrifice for his Christian mission. Because Paul recognizes that they can beat his body all they want, but it doesn't matter because he's going to get a new one soon. Because this life is not his home. This world is not his home. And then Paul talks about people who do care about what they look like. And they do care. They're still selfish. What does he say about these people? He says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised. Yes, we're literally talking about the medical procedure of circumcision here. Those people want to look good for others. Now, to us, that makes no sense. How does circumcision make you look good for others? How? Hopefully they don't even know. But the circumcision, circumcision for them was a sign that you were a Jew. And what did it mean to be a Jew? Now you are God's chosen people. You're special. You're set apart. You're better. So if you are circumcised, you're a Jew, which means you're better than the rest. And Paul here is talking to Christians, right? He's not talking about Jewish Jews, he's talking about Christians who are still trying to show how good they are with their outward appearance, to show that they are better with their outward appearance. So here, Paul is differentiating between mature, Christ-focused Christians, selfless Christians, and then those legalistic, self-focused, prideful Christians. Two different categories of Christian he's talking about here. 
In our world today, we call this virtue signaling. I got to show how good I am. I got to display my good works for everyone to see. Look how good I am. Look how great I look. So these Christians are still focusing on a works-based religion that allows the world to believe that they are better than everybody else because you do so many good things. But if you are a Christian, Paul is saying, your interest is not in what people think of you. Your interest is not in your appearance. Your interest is in God's appearance. Your interest is in what God thinks of you. And you are sacrificing You are giving up your own appearance so that he can look good. Christians, our message is not that we are good enough. Our message is that Christ is good enough and we don't care what people think of us because what matters is what God thinks of us. It is him who assigns me value, not you. And if we make our relationship with God about our actions, Paul says that we're just trying to look good. If you are proud of your actions, then you become self-focused. And we see virtue signaling like this all the time in our world. This is just how we've learned to live our lives. And it's not just the politicians, although usually it's the politicians. I saw this in Albertsons last month. I don't know if you can see there, but the faucet is relentlessly leaking. And the irony above it is that the sign says, let's save water. Now, I don't have anything against Albertsons. I think I give Albertsons more money than I give the church. Like, obviously, I want to support Albertsons, or at least I want to feed my family one of the two. I have no problem with Albertsons because this is just the way we're used to, this is the way we're trained to live our lives. But they say, let's save water. But the faucet is leaking. I did. How exactly are you saving water? The sink is leaking water. And when you look at this picture, what is the prettiest thing in that bathroom? Yeah, there's not much else that's pretty at all in that bathroom. In fact, it's quite disgusting. But they print off this beautiful sign. Look at us. We care about the environment. We care about our community. We care. Look at us. Pay no attention to the actions. But look at us. And I always hear people saying that the church does this. This is a common criticism of the church. You're just a bunch of hypocrites. You talk about helping poor people, but your voting doesn't prove it. You don't care about poor people. You talk that you give money away, but you don't actually That is such an incredibly ignorant opinion. Just Google it. Seriously, any secular, any research that's ever been done on this topic, just Google it. Just about every valuable charity in modern history was started by a Christian. Like almost all of them. Look at the charitable giving of Christians compared to non-Gitans non-Christians. This one's, I mean, like you report it on your taxes. It's pretty easy to check. Like it's not even close. Like relentlessly Christians give far and above the rest of the world. Why? Why is it? 
What has happened that has caused Christians to give more than the rest of the world? Well, the person we follow is the giver. The one who taught us, the one who gave us our instructions about how to live our lives is the greatest giver of all time. So as we become more like him, we become more giving, we become more sacrificial. And so it's a natural, it's a natural thing that happens as a result of following him. We become more generous. Yes, we're going to be more generous people. We become sacrificial people. This is what happens when you follow somebody. You become like them. What's hypocrisy? Hypocrisy, yes, that sign is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is claiming to have moral beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. I say I believe this, but I act contrary to what I say I believe. I say this is valuable to me because it's popular to say, but I don't actually sacrifice in order to support that value. So if we claim to have moral beliefs, what is our Christians? What is our moral? Our, our moral is that we are not moral. Our moral is that we are not good enough. If we are doing what we claim we should do, our claims have nothing to do with our actions. Our moral is Christ's goodness. Our moral is his perfection. We don't point to us, we point to him. He is our moral. So if we are supporting our moral with our actions, it is becoming more like him, not like us. It is not showing the world that we are good. It's showing the world that he is good. Grace, his love, his sacrifice, his perfection, his grace is our moral. We know we're screwed up. I know I'm screwed up. But I serve a perfect God who gives me his perfection, who gifts me his righteousness. And the good news is, over time, his righteousness actually changes me. It actually affects me. It actually changes my behavior. I actually become more like him as I worship him, as I serve him. He changes me. He sanctifies me. He makes me holy. So what was wrong? Paul was talking about these self-focused Christians. What was wrong with them? He says, they don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can be saved. Remember what the religious leaders say in Galatians. Don't use that name. You can preach good works. You can preach religion all you want, but don't use the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus claims to be the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven. Don't use that name. We need some authority here. We need to be able to control people. We want to be the only way, the religious leaders say. So Paul says about these legalistic Christians that they have two motivations. What does he say their two motivations are? Their first motivation is pride. They want to look good. They want to show the world what great people they are. Pride. The second motivation is fear. They know that if they preach in the name of Jesus, that the religious leaders of the day will persecute them. And that's a founded fear. That, that is a logical fear because they were persecuted for preaching Jesus. And Paul says, don't let fear, don't let your, your 
interest in your own body, in your physical body. Don't let your interest in this world dissuade you from doing what God has called you to do. Paul calls them hypocrites. He says, even even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. Nobody can be good enough. They only want to be circumcised so that they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples, not as Christ's disciples. They want to be in charge. They want to be the way. They want to show how good they are and then gather followers to themselves, not gather followers for Christ. So it's all about their pride. Not pride in God, but pride in what they have done and their value and their beauty and their goodness. But Paul says, as for me, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm boasting about his goodness, about his sacrifice, about his love, about his work, not mine. What a great, I mean, let's take a minute to think about what Jesus did for us. Imagine Jesus is carrying the cross and he drops it. He says, I had enough. If you people haven't changed by now, if you guys haven't figured it out by now, you never will. They say, I'm sorry, and then they just go back and keep doing the same thing. He says, I'm not, I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. I give up. I've had enough. This is not what Jesus did. His ability to endure the pain that the world put on him was driven by his love for us. His love for you. He saw you as he carried that cross. And his love for you gave him the ability to endure all the way to Calvary. So that he could die. So that he could be punished. So that your salvation would not be dependent on your ability to be good. And Paul says, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. I don't care about my body. I don't care about my appearance. Jesus was nothing but good, yet time and time again, we break his heart, and time and time again, he forgives. Relentlessly, he forgives. It is not my goodness that's worth talking about. It is his goodness. It is his love. It is his grace that's worth proclaiming. What am I prideful about? Only him, only his goodness, only his grace and nothing else. Because anyone else would have dropped the cross. Anyone else would have given up on me. Anyone else would have allowed their desire to feel pleasure in this world to dissuade them from their calling. And Paul says, And as a result, the world's interest in me has also died. No one else forgives like Jesus does. The rest of the world is only going to love you if you have something to offer them. This is the human problem. Now, if you have something good to offer me, and if I can get something out of the relationship, then I will love you. But sacrificial love, the mature love that Jesus had for us is the ability to sacrifice for somebody who has nothing to offer them. We wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. 
I would have given up. Paul says it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Transformed. Changed. I'm not who I was before. I have a new life. My son, uh, Titus, he says all the time, he says, Hey, Dad, are you an adult because you can climb ladders? No, my ability to climb a ladder does not make me an adult. What do I say? I said, no, I am an adult. I I can climb a ladder because I'm an adult. Why is he saying this? Because I always tell him, no, you can't can't do that, Titus. Only adults can do that. You're, You're too young to do that. So he says, hey, hey, dad, are you an adult because you can use knives? No, Titus, I can use knives because I'm an adult, right? He gets them backwards. That's an important difference, right? I think this is what we do with faith. Are we good? Are we, are we good? Are we saved because we're good? No. We're good because we're saved. It might seem like a small difference, but it makes a huge difference in how we react to our salvation. Are we good because, are we saved because we removed a bunch of sin from our life? Are we saved because we stopped doing bad things? No, we stopped doing bad things. No, we removed sin from our lives. No, we did good things because we were saved, because he changed us. It is him who gets the credit, because if I'm saved because I did good things, then I get the credit. But if I'm good because he saved me, he gets the credit. I brag about Christ. I am good because I was saved. I am changed because I was saved. I have a new life because he gave me a new life. And Paul says, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They, not the Jews, not the good people, not the religious leaders. They are the new people, the new Israel church the new people of God. It's God's mercy, not my goodness. And then Paul gets a little bit annoyed and you see this every once in a while in his letters and he's like, do I really have to keep repeating these things? Haven't you learned by now? Paul gets annoyed. He says, from now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things. This is elementary. It's time to move on. He says, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Paul's scars were the evidence that he belonged to Christ. The scars didn't save Paul. The scars showed that Paul was saved. The the scars did not point people to Paul. The scars pointed people to Jesus. Paul was sold out on fire for Jesus, and he had proof of it on his body. His scars showed his surrender. His scars showed his love. So what about us? What is our evidence? What is the proof that I am sold out on fire, surrendered to God? 
Is it how good I look? Is it how good I act? No. What is different about our appearance, Christians? The New Testament is this balancing act because it's constantly telling us that goodness cannot save you. You're not going to be good enough. You're not going to obey the law enough. The law cannot save you. But we should be good because we were saved. We should follow Christ and act as he did because we are his children. And what does goodness, according to Christ, according to Paul, look like? Well, it's pretty simple. It looks like extravagant, generous, sacrificial, relentless love. The entire law of scripture can be summed up in one word, love. If you want to know if an action is right or wrong, just ask yourself, is it loving? We get so caught up in trying to figure out, is this action a sin? Or we got to look at deep into scripture and interpret all these verses perfectly and figure out, is, can I do this? I want to get as close as I can to the line without jumping off the cliff. So is this okay? Can I, sh- should I do this? It's an easy answer. Is it loving? That's how we determine right and wrong. It is all summed up in that. Is it loving? Earlier in Galatians 6, Paul uses the phrase, the law of Christ. He said, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. How do we obey the law of Christ? Share each other's burdens. Generosity, love, sacrifice. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is love. The action of love, doing what love requires. For Paul, love meant telling people about Jesus, even though he would be tortured as a result. The most loving thing that I can do is tell you that there is more to this life than just this life. The most loving thing that I can do is to tell you that there is a God who loves you unconditionally. So because that is what love requires of me, I will even sacrifice my own body to do it. What does it mean for us? We ask ourselves, what does love require of me? The answer is clear. In whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever social group or family, whatever whatever work environment you find yourself in, what does love require of me? Sacrifice. I sacrifice my agenda. I sacrifice my appearance. I sacrifice my pleasure so that I can love others because I am becoming like Christ. Jesus' love shows us how. Sacrifice. How does Jesus love? He gave his life. And you're probably not going to have to die for someone in this life, but you are going to have to sacrifice for someone. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are Christ's disciples. We do this all the time, right? If you're a parent, you do this. You sacrifice for the sake of love. You don't even think about it. Why? Because you're, you're so in love with your kids that you give to them all the time. How dumb are we to have kids? I saw something the other day. It was like $300,000 to raise a kid in the world today. 
Okay, so either we have matured to the point of sacrificial love or we're stupid to have kids. But God, in putting his image in us, gave us a desire to love. So as we become the people that God created us to be, we become more mature in our love and we become more sacrificial in the way that we love our children. And this is what God does for us. This is the only way to possibly comprehend how God still loves me. It's because I love my kids no matter what. There is nothing in this world that could remove my love for my sons. Nothing. And is the only way I can comprehend God's love for me. Just a glimpse. Because I'm still flawed. I still sin. He doesn't. So what do Paul's scars show? Love. Love for God. Love for others. And in a moment when you're saying, I don't want to, I'm mad at them, I don't feel like it, God says love. Who do we love? Who does Christ tell us to love? Yeah, it's easy to love your kids. He says, love your enemies. Paul's praying for those who persecute him because Jesus told him to pray for those who persecute him. And even those who persecuted him came to Christ because of his love for them. He's chained to jail guards, the very people who are persecuting him, and he's leading them to Christ because he has matured to the point of sacrificial love. So will we. God, make me more like you. Change me. Sanctify me. Allow your holiness in me to Make me more sacrificial, less interested in myself, less interest, less interested in what I look like and in my comfort in this world. And entirely focused on your calling for me. Thank you for your relentless grace, your relentless forgiveness, your patience for me that allows me to fail time and time again, yet still be considered your child. God, today I surrender to you. If there's anybody here today who would say, I'm, I would like to begin that journey, that journey of becoming the person that God created me to be, that journey of becoming more self-focused, more self, less selfish. If you're ready to start that journey, just have a conversation with God today. He created you. He made you. Surrender to him and allow allow him to continue to form you. God, we love you and thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.